Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cocciolillo, and today we're lucky to have Patricia Quarry, author of the uh, Syrian trilogy when I first purchased it anyway. Thank you for being on my show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on your show. And you've also have like 15 other books, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I think Um, I'm up to 14, but that includes two books in which I am one of three channels. So let's say... 12 and two thirds or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, So how did you start channeling? Um, I think I'm one of the original, let's be honest myself, but I'm like an old geezer here. (laughs) You're the first one I read. Yeah. I, uh, I started, well, I was, you know, I was already connected with these Syrian beings when I was a kid. But it was in 1997 that I had this gigantic breakthrough when I went into my first crop circle, which was a doozy, I'll tell you. It was called the Julius Set. And it was, um, people were coming from all over the world, priests and Tibetan monks and, you know, Mayan native elders, et cetera. So it was something really big happening there. And I got called into it as well. And when I got in, I lost consciousness quite immediately. I started spinning out. I I should back up. I was in England for a course. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of this course, and it was a live-in type of college situation. So uh, I was asleep in my little college bed. And at four in the morning, I woke up and I had had a dream that I was flying over Stonehenge and that I saw this gigantic spiral in the field next to Stonehenge, bigger than Stonehenge, much big, much, much bigger. And when I woke up, I heard a voice say, wake up, wake up. I mean, in that state of waking up, you know, wake uh-huh. up. Um, this is a wake up call. Um, how, how did they say it? This is going to be very important for you. This is a lock on point for extra dimensional intelligence, wake up now, you have work to do. And I woke up, I had no clue. I didn't know anything about crop circles at that time because I, what I had heard, I thought was information about uh, saucers, reports that saucers had landed in Russia and yeah. left imprints in the field, like burn marks. Uh-huh. So that didn't interest me too terribly much. So I said, well, wait a minute, what is this vision? And then that weekend, we went on a field trip to Glastonbury, which is this kind of new age, far out little town in England. And there was the exact same picture that I had had in the dream, Stonehenge, and this gigantic spiral right next to it. And I said to the bookstore cash register, what the hell is that image? And she said, it's the latest, sorry, we have somebody just beeped <laughs> Oh, she said, it's the latest crop circle. And I said, hold it. Uh, Crop circle, it was this huge formation and it had 151 circles in it. And they were in, for those of you who, who know a little about sacred geometry, they were in Fibonacci, Fibonacci sequence. 
which is a ratio of 1.618 growth mm -hmm. to a former uh, volume or number. So they were in perfect Fibonacci sequence, 151 circles, okay? And I just didn't expect anything like it. I had no idea what, what that was, but it was what, exactly what I dreamt. So when we got back to the college, some of the people that were with me on that field trip were kind of excited because I had shown them, I had sketched out a diagram of what I'd seen, and it was identical proportionally to the picture that we saw in the bookstore. It's incredible. So uh, the, one of the professors, when he saw it, he, he cause you know, I, I bought a postcard of the picture in the, in the store. And so you could, I could overlay it and it was exact. And he said, okay, you're not here for this course. You're here to get into a crop circle and I'm going to get you in. And he took me. So when I got to this crop circle, I, I, I could barely make it in. And I fell into one of the 151 circles and started spinning, spinning, spinning. And I could see my body disintegrating. It was the weirdest thing I think that's ever happened to me, but there's a lot. <laughs> I just looked down at myself. I saw my body disintegrating and I was spinning and then pow, I was gone. I heard music like, Whoo! my body just disintegrating and then pow, I was gone. And uh, what I call the astral journey on steroids and when I got back I was completely disoriented I could I had a hard time getting back into my body to the point that um, I realized that something really important had happened but I was I was not conscious of where I went until when I uh, four days later when I got back to Rome I started channeling it was automatic writing the first time that is I was in a trance and didn't know what I was, was doing and then every day after that, it was I was fully conscious. So I re I realized that the beings that I channel, who are called the Syrian High Council, and they are a six-dimensional disincarnate beings, light beings. I believe that they uh, attuned me in that moment. They took me out to some I don't know place far, far away. Uh -huh and attuned me to their frequencies and so that I could become a channel for them. So that was 1997 and I'm still working at this capacity. And it's interesting the timing of this interview because yesterday they came back and said, okay, it's time to get, on, to get started on a new book. So wow. all of a sudden I'm channeling again. This morning was the first uh, <laughs> session after uh, about a three year hiatus. So I think it's auspicious that we're talking today. That is. And when you uh, had the experience in the crop circle, like, you know, did you like fall down and completely go unconscious? Yeah, what happened was the professor was a very chatty, uh, kind of a kooky guy, you know, like, I don't really understand it, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, as I see it, and he was a brainiac, so he was like, you know, the, <clears throat> the idea of a crop circle anyway, I, and I just looked at him and I said, please don't be offended but I need to be in silence right now. Right, 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 then. Uh, you go on and I'll go over to Stonehenge and I want to take some measurements. He was a, you know, science freak. <laughs> and so I just remember him getting, I hate to say get rid of him, but I, I needed to get rid of him because I needed to be in that, you know, receptive space, silence. And I remember being, it felt like somebody was pulling me by the shirt, like by the collar. 
it was so strong and I, I barely got into the formation and I did fall down. I, just, I couldn't even sit down. I was just like, ah, ah, and I fell down on this in circle and I started spinning. I felt myself spinning and then I looked down at my legs and they were disintegrating. And I, obviously what was happening was I was shifting out of the third dimension into another dimension. Wow. You know, Am I, you know, are your, is your audience ready for this or is this too? Oh, I, I, oh they're absolutely ready for it. In fact, it just, to me, it sounds very similar to um, like when I have epileptic seizures, you know, it's like, it's, it was, in fact, I had like small ones like forever that really didn't phase me. And then I had one a couple of years ago. It was real similar to what you had. And honestly, like, like afterwards, you know, I was okay and stuff. And then one day I was taking a shower and I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to start a podcast. And that's how my podcast started. You know that that's very interesting and that uh, most of the native indigenous people celebrate uh, people who have had seizures, epilepsy, and consider them divine messengers. And I too have had seizures long ago, right after, it wasn't much after, let me think. Was it before or after? Yeah, I had two seizures after this started. And I told the doctor, because they wanted to label me an epileptic. And I said, doctor, I was in the hospital for it. It was a really heavy duty seizure, mm -hmm. which I've never said publicly before. Yeah, that's but, what happened yeah. to me too. I was in for like five days. Yeah, and the doctor you know, wanted to medicate me in the whole bed. And I said, look, doctor, Try to imagine this. This is an Italian hospital, right? I go, what's happening here is I'm a channel and I work with beings on other dimensions. And so I'm using parts of my brain. And the guy's looking at me like, get her to the psych ward. I said, I'm using <laughs> parts of my brain that maybe other people don't use. And, and so I feel like maybe this is something like a short circuit or rewiring of my brain. And the doctors looked at me and my man was sitting in the room looking at me like, stop talking just stop talking. And the doctor said, Mrs. Corey, if you don't stop saying the things that you're saying right now, I'm going to have no alternative but to send you to the psychiatric ward for evaluation. And I realized, <laughs> oh my God, these guys have your, their life, your life in their hands. And I said, doctor, oh, come on, I'm trying to make it light, lighten it up. A little humor never hurt anybody. Right. And I went with it because I thought I could end up labeled an epileptic or worse, sitting in a ward. And uh, I refused the meds and uh, it never happened again. So I'm quite sure that that was all part of this process because, in fact, we know that we're using supposedly only 10% of our brain. We all, you know, the rest is gray matter. Yeah. And we're supposedly only have the same about maybe 85, 87% of our DNA is lit up and the rest of it is junk DNA. And I always say to people, why does science, why do we, the spiritualists get called woo woo? And the scientists get away with saying that 90% of us is irrelevant, gray or junk. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and it's kind of funny too, like when I had that seizure and afterwards too, one of the things that happened to me was um, I received a book in the mail called Time, um, yeah, Time Paradoxes. 
And it came from Oxford University. It's not a book that you can buy on Amazon or anything like that, you know. And, um, and the receipt on the date was six months in the future. Wow. And, and I was like, man, maybe during that seizure, I somehow merged with a, a future self and sent myself this book to remind myself of where I was. Oh, yeah. You and I are on the same wave, all right. Did you, do you still have that book? Oh, yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, and, and I told oh. my wife this, and she's like, oh, it was just one of your family members did this as a joke. I said, I don't think so. <laughs> it's so hard for people that don't understand to cope with people like us who are going through these things. We don't understand all of it, but at least we're receptive. But when, when other people who love us they have the brakes on because they, they get scared. You yeah. Know? And it's, um, it must be very hard for them. Like, I know, like, I mean, I don't chat on anything or anything like that, you know, but, um, but I totally, after that experience, I believe that this is not the only dimension. Because I remember just being in that vortex of color and sound and feeling so peaceful. And it was just totally cool. And, you know, and, and I think I, I, I struggled to come back to consciousness from it. Yeah, I struggled too. When I came back from that journey in the crop circle, I was lying there and I looked up and the, the, the weather had changed because I didn't know I was, go I was out that long. The weather was, it was darker. The weather, it was colder. I was like, what the hell happened here? And the professor walked up. And it was like something out of Alice in Wonderland. Are you all right then? <laughs> I said, yes. Uh, oh my goodness. I said, I'm sorry. I think I, I think I went out for a few minutes. He said, you've been out for two and a half hours, love. <laughs> two and a half hours lost. He just left you there. <laughs> he did. Well, thank God for that. Isn't it? Just thank God for that. Um, and when, when I did, when I sat up, needless to say, it was almost impossible to be in my body because it was so deep and it was so long, two and a half hours blacked out. Okay. Um, and when I sat up, everything was different. I saw plasma spheres. Uh, I saw men in black. I saw all kinds of things from other dimensions bleeding through. So that, you know, it was the crop circle, that particular crop circle itself was a huge event. I think, and I've been to the crop circles every year since then, except for last year. I believe that that was the most important crop circle that ever came down. Wow. And, uh, Do you think I, that's like the purpose of crop circles to attune people? That's a great question. And you know, anybody who is responsible, and that's not everybody uh, reporting on crop circles, does their best not to interpret what they mean because the wonder of the crop circles is that people find their own meanings in them. It's a very personal experience. And so I try not to say it means this because I, I can just tell you my, mm -hmm. all I know is my experience. And my understanding is that the, um, a, a form of intelligence, consciousness, wants to communicate intelligence, beauty, and love to the sphere 
of Earth, not necessarily limited only to humans, because there are also animals that respond to these formations. But, you know, ask yourself this, Gary, if you were an intelligent, evolved civilization trying to communicate with a not so evolved civilization, that there is consciousness and love and beauty and wisdom beyond, what would be your method? And my question is, well, of course, you could be beep, 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 um, mm -hmm. trying to decode a language, perhaps. But how about the idea of beaming down sacred form, forms that contain incredible numerology and ratio and divine um, proportion? Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to communicate love and yes. beauty and, you know, higher an evolved conscious society. So I believe that's what that is. I believe that it's not ETs. I think it's extra dimensional beings that are trying to imprint the earth with messages that uh, number one, everything is connected. And number two, there is intelligence out there that um, is capable of communicating that wisdom uh, and love to a civilization desperately in need of it. Do you think they are particular or choosy about who they decide to communicate with? Uh, now you're not talking about crop circles. You're talking about channels. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like I can't imagine like there's gonna like, every every person that walks into that crop circle is gonna be come attuned enough to to channel. So no, I agree with that, and I so so I, I imagine that there has to be some. Um, other factor that comes into play that that has to or a person has to have some prerequisite yes i do believe that i just want to be very careful that no uh signs of ego consciousness come out here mm -hmm. and just to say that because you know people have said it must be so wonderful to be chosen right. but i think I it's more of an alignment than it is ego yeah i i always retort you know it's not about being chosen it's about whatever uh gifts i've been given in in this lifetime that, or that I brought through, or even karmic merit from other lifetimes, uh, something about me and other channels uh, that has to do with resonance and frequency and experience manages to be recognized and then selected, if you will, to serve as a transmitter for these beings. Awesome. And so, so once you're communicating with these beings, um, like what, what message do they have? And like, what is their, um, what, why is it they want to assist us? Or is it that we, we need that assistance? I love that you added that at the end. So, you may not remember, it's been a while since you read the books. Yeah. <laughs> many, and they're all about empowerment. That they predominantly, in the case of the Syrians, I don't know about other channeled information, but from the Syrians, they started out by telling us that they also went through an ascension process. Um, and that there were three stars in the Syrian star system, Sirius A, B, and C. Sirius A still resides in the three-dimensional context. That's why that's that beautiful blue-white star that sits low on the horizon 
when you look down at Ryan's <laughs> belt and you follow it to the horizon, they're serious, right? Yeah. Serious B, which was uh, an, uh, originally in the third dimension along with that star, got catapulted into the sixth dimension in an ascension process. And Sirius C is currently in the fourth dimension. So they refer to themselves as a multidimensional star system, which is very interesting because the um, Dogon tribes, are you familiar with the Dogon? I am, yes. Okay. Oh, it's wonderful to talk to you, your knowledge. <laughs> uh, the Dogon reported being visited by a craft and this craft landed and it threw out a lake and these beings they called them the nomo which were half fish half man walked out of the lake and said we need to talk to you about a few things <laughs> which could have been a little heavy um you know when you're just sitting around the campfire and they proceeded to explain to them that they you know they were from sirius and that there were three stars and uh, that one of them was still, uh, they call, I think they called it Digitarius, that was, was circle, circle orbiting the other. And all this information that seemed outrageous until as, as, or as late as 19, I believe, 67, when the, some science, some, I suppose, astronomer, scientific astronomers um, met up with this Dogon tradition and started exploring it and they found in fact that there was the sign of a of a star hold on a minute mm -hmm. sorry i have a little bit of outside noise i tried to mute it um okay. that there was this star wobbling there was a wobble effect in the sirius a which they were able to attribute to another star which went into supernova. So they were saying that a star that had burned out was affecting the wobble of Sirius A, which is exactly what the Syrians say. And that is that uh, the, the, the star that is affecting, sorry, the Dogen also said it was an intensely heavy matter, dense, heavy matter. And the council say, Yes, because when the spirit of a star or any celestial being leaves it, just like when you leave your body, a skeleton stays behind. So the Syrians say that what has stayed behind in the third dimension of their star is the skeleton of a star that is now sitting in the sixth dimension. So um, that's their process. And so one of the reasons they're involved with us there are many reasons. Uh -huh. One is because they already have been through it and they are trying to help us understand how to get through ascension. Another is because they were part of the great experiment where Homo sapiens was seeded on this planet from higher dimensional beings and um, ascended Christed ETs. And also because of the strategic impact of planet Earth at this time. And what is the strategic impact? Well, it's, this planet is capable of taking out the whole solar system with weapons. So, and then there's also a battle going on between ETs that are already here underground and uh, 
different factions that are, do not have a, in, at all the interests of the human race as their priority. They want the planet. They want, the, they want to mine it. They want possession of it. They want the real estate. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the Syrians say, when you were just a problem for yourselves, well, there wasn't much we could do about that other than to try to come to you in ways that we use to communicate. But now that you're a problem for the entire solar system, uh, the, the um, doors and the gates of, are open. But know that we're not coming to save you because that idea is an old religious precept that you still hold and cling to that someone has to save you. And that's why you're in the mess that you're in. It's only when you take responsibility for yourselves and for your planet that any saving is going to get done at all. So we can guide you, we can assist, we can show you, teach you our experience, but you have to do the work. Um, with the ETs that are here, um, I have a couple questions about those first. Because um, I've heard different theories on it. Like I've heard that, that possibly, I've heard two theories about the gray ETs. One is that they are actually humans that left the planet and, are, and have returned later on because um, the human race is older than what we think it is. And another one I've heard is that they are basically um, working for reptilians. Yes. So my experience of this is that they are, in fact, uh, not robotic, but let's say pretty much controlled by the reptilian and the dracos. Um, they don't, I don't perceive them as being independent uh, in, in their pursuits. I feel like they are um, mission, missionaries, if you will, or emissaries, if you will, of the Dracos performing duties that they're commanded to do, especially regarding in, uh, infiltrating and um, abducting humans. And um, with the reptilians, like, what is their agenda? Do you have any idea? I think their agenda is to uh, completely control. Well, first of all, there's a satanic element to it, and it is to, to lower the frequency of the planet completely, to kill off, well, let's say 97% of the, of the species. They don't like humans. We're in their way. They don't feel love, compassion, almost no emotion. They, don't, they, they can't even fathom what our emotional body is. They're um, very dark beings. They resonate to um, power and possession and survival. So they believe that they need this planet for their survival and that everything else is uh, extraneous. They don't like light. They don't like life, biology. Uh, they're sterile. So this is one of the reasons why we're, the planet is under attack. I mean, yesterday I heard that they're now, the latest from our world government, is they want to kill off half a million sharks 
because something in their blood uh, is to be used for vaccines. Half a million sharks. There's no regard for, for life on this planet. No. Right? Yeah. The, the, and no the reptilians sound like a real bummer. What's that? The reptilians sound like a real bummer. Yeah, you wouldn't want to go to dinner with yeah. them. Um, did, is it true that the reptilians had some involvement with the Nazis? Yeah, well, of course, this is not my area of expertise. It's funny how we've gotten over to the dark side of the ET question, but I can tell you what I understand, and that is that the Nazis uh, were involved with the Draco reptilians as far back as um, after the, during and after the war, because the whole story about the Nazis being defeated is bogus. They, they infiltrated into the United States. They... Um, Hitler, I don't believe, died. I believe he went underground into a train and probably ended up in South Africa. Uh, sorry, South America. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there are bullet trains underground. Yeah, they say that he went to Argentina. That's one theory, yeah. I, I see him in South, South America, so that would work. And a lot of the Nazis went into NASA. So the stories that we've heard about government are bogus and some of this is coming out now. And so some, some people who are whistleblowers and military, uh, let's say, let's say whistleblowers uh -huh. claim that the Nazis have been working with Draco reptilians from the time of the world war two. And, um, are the Syrians able to help us out of this mess? Well, there are, like I said earlier, then what? If we are so completely incapable of standing well, up. They have to teach us, I think, basically. But, I mean, look at our situation. Mm -hmm. Let's just play the devil's advocate here for a minute because, you know, we, we obviously see our world in dire straits and we, we also know that there's a satanic uh, reptilian claw on the human race. And the question is, meanwhile, as soon as they put out this bit with the masks and the, the whole uh, ed event, 97% of the population went right into obedience mode on their knees, taking their masks, taking their tests, uh, hysterical because uh, of this disease, right? Or this virus or whatever you want to call it, because I have my own feeling about what it really is and gave away completely, completely, and immediately their power, their humanity, their friendship, their humor to this problem, to the fear, right? Right. We now live in a world where we're, we're sequestered, where much of the planet is in lockdown. Uh, we're not allowed to, the latest children can't sing at school anymore because you can spread the virus. And, you know, you look at this writing on the wall and you think, well, that was easy. I mean, if you were the power that initiated this, you'd have to be laughing in your beer. It's like the whole planet. We've got the whole planet under control and we didn't even have to drop a bomb. All we had to do was keep these people, these creatures on their knees to their fear. And what right. is the fear? Survival, right? Yes. So we are asking a beings of higher wisdom and dimensions to come in and save us? And then what? If we haven't learned this lesson to stand up to this, what, where are we going to go next? 
what kind Probably of just make the same mistake that? again. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said we would probably just make the same mistake again. Exactly. So that's what we're in right now. We are in school. And this is the great Armageddon. You know, it's the biblical Armageddon um, is not unlike this. The difference is it's more innocuous. People don't recognize this is World War III we're in. And it's World War III against the planet, and it's World War III against all nations, all people. That is a gripping thought. This isn't, you know, the United States against China. The whole planet is in the grips of this insipid, insidious, satanic, one-world government. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to stand up and throw these masks off and take them down? Or are we going to stay on our knees until, you know, whatever the next step will be? Hmm. Right? Right. Um, so do, when it comes to standing up and, and being fearless, is part of that process recognizing our own multidimensional existence? Absolutely. And part of the process also is reactivating that 90% DNA that's junk, quote unquote, because all the information we need about our galactic history and our connections to many dimensions is in that DNA. And so I like to describe this as a great cosmic switchboard in your brain, the pineal gland, which plugs th those strands, that reassembled DNA plugs into the pineal gland. And that's illumination. We were designed to be 12-stranded, crested individuals on this planet. And things went awry when another species invaded. But if you think about that, it makes total sense. Like, why do we have this DNA? I mean, we're down to two strands of DNA, and we're miraculous. Imagine if 90% of our DNA is inactive, junk. Now, we know enough about divinity to know there's no junk in creation. Right. Right? Right. So it, it's, it's either asleep or has been de either been deactivated or is there to for us to be accessed. Yeah, I mean, it's either deactivated or it's diseased or it's something. But when it's an entire civilization, you recognize that there's something has deactivated within the human species, 90% of the DNA and 90% of the brain. So when we plug that all in, holy moly, watch out what's going to happen. And I believe, and I'm not the only one, that we are starting to reactivate the DNA because of many factors. One, we've entered the photon belt in our place in the uh, universe, in the galaxy. And it's uh, very highly charged photonic energy, and it's activating all the planets. Two, we are entering the age of Aquarius. You know, we've been talking about the dawn of the age of Aquarius. Well, we're in it now. We've just, we're just entering into it. And this is a time of great awakening. And three, we appear to be in an ascension process where people are finally waking up. And that this trauma that we're in is a big part of the wake-up call for humanity. Because it's only when things get really rough 
that we move into action. I mean, think about it. When everything's laid back and you're watching the game with a couple of beers mm-hmm. and relaxing, you know, with a Barbie and, and the, and I'm talking about the masses now, uh, nothing to worry about, nothing gets done. But when an entire global population is in an, some form of existential crisis, things start to happen. And we are, and they are. So it's like a catalyst to awaken us. Total. Because, you know, at, at this time, people first went into the orchestrated fear, which was predictable. Everybody's going to die. You're going to die. You can't breathe. You can't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when it was imposed, and I sat back and I said to myself, okay, here it comes. I said the same thing when 911 happened. Uh-oh. I said, when I saw that happen, I said, this is the beginning of a whole new era for civilization. Right. And when this happened, it was the same thing. I was like, okay, here we go. This is the tightening of the screw. This is the new world order putting in its edict. And I also think a reaction to Trump because they didn't expect Trump to come in. Right. So um, they're pulling it all out now. It's like every possible game they can throw at us, they're doing. And um, it is the battle of darkness and light. And I believe the light is going to win. Um, I just lost my train of thought for a second there. (laughs) I just went blank. (laughs) (laughs) That happens to me sometimes. You're just out on a limb going, what happened to my brain? Yeah, it just like leaves me. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, Oh, well, I know what I was going to ask. It just came back. <laughs> During the ascension process, is it just living beings that experience it? Or does Earth, Gaia, whatever you want to call it, also go through this process? Well, let me preface this by saying that Earth is a living being. All st- celestial beings are living conscious beings, just like us. For starters. Right. And of course they are. They're just it's so gigantic we can't conceive of it. But of course they are. I mean, you know, they are the creators of all the nature, all the all the essence of this planet. It's not just a sterile being. It's a conscious being. It keeps producing beauty, even though we seem to keep trying to stifle it. Um, but according to the Syrian High Council... And these are channeled messages that are different than any other I've ever heard. It's not just the earth ascending. It's not just people ascending. It's the sun. Our sun is ascending. So that means the whole solar system is ascending. And that's when your earlier question about the Syrians, that's one of the reasons why they're involved with us, because they've been through that ascension process when they went from the third dimension to the sixth as i told you earlier there's stars in the sixth dimension and so um that explains also a lot of things it explains that a lot of the planets are revving up jupiter's spot keeps changing sometimes it gets bigger it seems to be all over the place erratic saturn is losing some of its rings venus is heating up speeding up so it's not just the Earth that's going through anomalies. It's several planets. 
Interesting. You know, it just makes me think like the other day, they, apparently there was uh, some major um, sun flares that were even affected, so affected the earth so much where you could see the uh, aurora borealis in the United States. Did you? I didn't see it, but uh, I've read about it. <laughs> I'm in Alabama. So There's no aurora borealis here. I saw a picture of Aurora Borealis in those few days ago in Norway that was just ridiculous. It was gigantic. It was like waves of color just pouring out of the sky onto the earth. Breathtaking. And yes, the sun is mutating. So the Syrian High Council say that we are getting very close to ascension now. And um, you can certainly... It certainly gives credence to, the, uh, sorry, the fact that all these planets are mutating as they are gives a lot of credence to that concept. Something is happening with the sun and it's affecting all of the planets. And, you know, people only think about the earth and, you know, people talk about the poles are shifting and all these fear-based concepts. Yeah. And my message to everyone is the whole universe, our whole solar system is shifting and meanwhile, of course, they're starting to get ready to tell us there's life on Mars and stations on the moon. And now we're hearing uh, po possible life on Venus, which we, 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 we've heard about the Venusians as, as a, a species that's already visiting the Earth. So lots is going on. And in our lifetimes, we're going to see these things. We are going to become galactic humans off of the planet. I don't are, mean all of us. Are but we all, but we're all, are we already off the planet? Is there a secret space program that people are not aware of? Oh, absolutely. You know, you look at, uh, supposedly even Obama was recruited to be on Mars. And there are several spokespeople, whistleblowers that talk about the Mars recruiting pro program. Laura Eisenhower, the great-great-granddaughter of Eisenhower, claims that she was recruited for the, she didn't go, but she was being uh, groomed to be in the Mars recruitment group. And, and the Syrian High Council, as back as 1996, seven, said that there were underground bases on Mars and on the moon. And that there were also breeding places where they're already breeding the animals and growing food and creating ecosystems for life there. And now the government is openly talking about being on the moon. Sorry, but both. Trump even said we will be on the Mars. Okay, on Mars, <laughs> not on the Mars. Trump said recently, I think he said we'll be on, on Mars in five years. That there is a question, that there is a secret program is unquestionable. We know so little about what they're really up to. And one of the interesting things that is involved with this secret program, um, I had Dan Willis, who was a whistleblower in the Disclosure Project 20 years ago, uh, a government whistleblower. And he said that they, uh, they've got the time travel. They can, you don't have to spend a year to get to Mars. They can do it in a few like 24 hours. Yeah, so I've heard, I've heard to that too. I heard that they have like portals that do it. Yeah, of course. 
you know, we just kept in this opacity of, you know, the old fashioned, <laughs> you know, they, they put on the show with these, these occasional explorations up to the space station. That's kids play. And um, meanwhile, they do their business behind the scenes. And of course, we have Area 51, where the government has craft from ETs, different species. So they've learned how to back engineer and they know how to make um, craft. And so did Hitler. So uh, uh, again, Dan Willis said that when the spaceships flew over the White House in 1952, do you remember that? I do, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't remember. I was I don't remember yet, either. But I've seen pictures of it. I've heard stories so of it. Said that when that happened, that was really uh, Nazi craft coming out of Antarctica, hiding in, in Antarctica, and warning Eisenhower that they were taking over. Very interesting stuff. If yeah. you know, I invite your audience, if I may, to check out my YouTube channel and listen to the interview with Dan Willis if they're interested in that kind of information. I don't have to get him on my show. Oh, yeah, he's wonderful. And I'm sure he'd be happy to. Well, I don't know. He's sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's doing a lot of radio right now. So yeah, I'll have awesome. to reach out to him. Yes, indeed. He's a very open man. And he's just a library of wisdom, very scientific. So he's got everything recorded and data registered and he knows exactly what he's talking about. Great. And you know, it's always wonderful when you mix the scientific left brain approach with the spiritual right brain approach and come to the same conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's going to, it requires both. Yeah. Because if you, Take just a spiritual approach, but you don't test it, you, you could easily be fooled. Yeah. Okay, science can also fool you because you can True. alter the data. Absolutely. But when you start to see different spokespeople, whistleblowers, uh, psychics, channels, or whatever, merging with the same prospectus, you start to see something really forming in, in, in your consciousness of a, of a probable reality uh but you know when you talk to dan i mean he's got the data yeah and the nazis were doing anti-gravity well that's what they've been working on all this time the, the mm -hmm. military they're, they're working on so when you see when people get all excited and say oh my god i think i saw a craft in the sky i go well the only problem with that is it's very possibly human because right. they've got all kinds of, of ufos now at, at area 51 yeah i was um just watching, uh, I was on Gaia uh, on Disclosure about how they have a a ship that they found here on Earth that's you know probably older than Earth itself, and it appears to be part machine and part organic. Whoa! What show was that? It's on a uh, Disclosure on the Gaia channel. Okay. I forget the guy who was talking about it, but the guy who was showing him his craft was actually one of the Nazis. I think his name was Rudolph. Showing who the craft? Um, he was showing it to uh, this guy. He, at the time, I guess he was a kid. He was like 15 years old. 
and he had figured out how to make these um, really super fast rockets. And then NASA brought him in and showed him this craft that they had that was part, you know, organic, part machine to see if he could actually figure out how it worked and what it was. Okay, I don't, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and ask you why NASA would reveal secret, above top secret information to a kid who claimed to have visions of things. Um, I think there's two possible explanations for it. One is it was completely fake dis- disinformation. Yep. Or... Two, they just assumed that even if you told people, nobody would believe them. Because I have my, I, I used to work myself at Bell Labs. And when I was there, there was a guy, um, this is back when I used to smoke cigarettes. So I was outside smoking a cigarette. And I was talking to one of the guys at Bell Labs. And he was one of the original developers of fiber optic technology. And he asked me, like, he was like, well, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, oh, man, I'm just here to, you know, upgraded computers and stuff like that. And he goes, he goes, you know, I used to work for NASA. And he goes, do you know that the technology for silicone chips and fiber optics came from a UFO? And I said, no, I didn't know. And, and I walked away and I never really thought about it too much. You know, I said, oh, he's just some crazy old guy. You know, who knows what he has in that pipe he was smoking. And I think about a year later, I heard the Bob, Liz- Bob Lazar story. I said, oh, maybe he was was actually telling me the truth. Yeah. You know, you look back at those moments and think, if only I had been a little bit more aware, because I I had an encounter with, well, several encounters with uh, two Nordics. And, you know, I I suspected they were alien. And then, you know, finally it, it came down to realizing they were. And instead of reacting with curiosity, or as a reporter, I reacted from the gut knee-jerk level that these, these beings are going to harm me. And if I could only go back and go, look, okay, so I think you're, you're aliens and we need to have a beer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, how, how much I would have gleaned from that. But um, I was scared or in denial or something. Right. I think we have to be careful, too, because... I think we have the technology, the cloning technology to make our own species. So I've also heard rumors that some of the things that we look like they're aliens to us are things that we've actually made. We are in no man's land here. You've got synthetics, you've got clones, you've got people that are, that are chipped already. Um, You know, you only need to look at Zucker or Musk or Bezos to ask yourself, what happened to these people? They're robotic. Have they been already chipped? Are they clones? Um, we, we, have, they have, we have technology that we can't even conceptualize. And, at the, and then, then we have technology that's 40, 50 years ahead of what we can't conceptualize. So time machines, war, warps in space in dimensions it's all accessible now we're just not privileged to it but there's no question that we are looking at 
when you look at someone, especially people in key positions, you don't know what you're looking at. Not anymore. Right. And it, you know, it, it, some of them, I look at them and go, what am I looking at here? Because as a psychic, I can see the auric field, especially when I really turn on my, my lights here. Because if I walked around open like that all day, I'd go insane. But when I'm researching or when I'm doing healing work with people and I turn on that faculty, I, boom, I see the whole energy field around beings. And I've been looking at some people lately who don't have it. They just don't have any energy field. I'm like, okay, so what am I looking at? A clone? A robot? It's very weird. We are in no man's land. Right. Yeah, We're I actually definitely, in the fourth dimension, you know? Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't believe everybody that I meet is 100% human. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Because, like, they, they can't be. You know, I mean, if we, we, I mean, most of our food is genetically modified. So, mm-hmm. so why would I not think that they're not doing that with humans too? Or that the food is modifying us. It could be. Absolutely. The food, the vaccines. But listen, even, once we get started on vaccines, you'll never get me to shut up. <laughs> you know, people dismiss this. I mean, people complain about it, but they pretty much dismiss it as the reason why they're modifying the food is to preserve its shelf life, yada, 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 yada. But what if it's more sinister than that? What if it's about modifying our biology through consumption of this food? Yeah. There's no question that that is the target of these beings, is to alter the human species to become an AI lifeless bio-unit. Or at least maybe not lifeless, but certainly not independent, sovereign, biological beings, right? Right. They want us to become what like are sheep. We eating? Sorry? They want us to become sheep. Well, there's a lot of sheep out there already. They want us yeah. to become robotic. Yeah, they're succeeding. <laughs> yeah. They want robotic, um, dependent, controllable, programmable. I'm oh, sorry, programmable artificial intelligence managed units. And, you know, I don't want to freak anybody out, but uh, because I don't believe they're going to succeed in that quest, but they're doing a great job of looking like it, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you heard about Neuralink? No. So recently I saw this video from Elon Musk and it's, I think it's, it's titled Neuralink in which he, he shows a video of uh, uh, an animated video of how this, the, we have now the technology, he says, to implant the brain with a miniature computer, and this is how it's going to be done. So he shows this animated, let's call it a cartoon, of a, of a human being lying on this bed in, the hosp- in a hospital, completely computerized hospital, and he's saying, we won't need doctors to perform this because it can all be effortlessly performed by computers. So this machine comes over the bed where this human is lying down, face down, and it, it uh, comes down onto the skull that's been taped off, you know, like in a x-ray mm-hmm. situation. 
drills, read my lips, a hole in the skull, takes out the core bone matter and puts in all by computer, a little miniature, not a chip, a computer. Puts it into the hole, plugs up the hole, seals it up, goes reet, 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 disappears. And he was saying that the patient is uh, brought back to uh, consciousness effortlessly. It's all very painless, very fast, etc. This is not a joke. This is, he says that we have this technology now. Yeah, I mean, they definitely do if he knows about it. And he said that, you know, the excuse is, the con is, we'll be able to help people who have motor issues and uh, spinal injuries. Yeah, right. Sure, that's what it's for. (laughs) But, you know, where's the outcry, outrage to this? This is a video that's been had something, millions of views. And it's part of the indoctrination program of civilization. Interesting. I mean, you know, really? I am not going to be one of these people. <clears throat> yeah, I don't want I don't want that either. No, that's not gonna happen to me. I'm very clear about that. So that's good. Yeah. How and like when it comes to like the multidimensionality, um it, it seems like they've been aware of that also. Um, like with places like Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. And it's sort of been trying to, you know, keep it under wraps. Well, they're, first of all, these beings don't want us to have a God connection. So they're doing everything possible to destroy and disrupt what's left of our pineal glands because they, they're trying to kill the God code. And before I continue, but I hope I don't lose my chain of thought. Recently, AstraZeneca, which is one of the pharmaceutical companies that's doing the uh, so-called vaccine for Mm. the so-called virus apparently one of the test people and you know you have to ask yourself what kind of a foolish person would volunteer to be a test guinea pig uh she started screaming after she was injected she started screaming that they were killing the god code oh my god i can't feel god oh god oh my god they've taken god away and another person had a neurological ill uh I think paralysis and um, some other horrible thing like meningitis. So they stopped the test. But I was paying attention. I thought, wow, they've taken the God code away. So aren't they trying to do just that? I mean, if you're a satanic power that's got its clutches on this planet and you want to take down the civilization, uh, you certainly don't want enlightenment. You don't want God consciousness. You don't want churches. You don't, you know, and how funny that, you know, these new mandates, you can't go to church, can't sing in church. Or you can riot, that's okay. You can't go to church. Children can't sing anymore in school. Nothing resembling joyousness and consciousness raising is allowed. Right? Right. So meanwhile, we know that the fluoride that's been used in water for, I don't know, how many decades? Yeah, I was just thinking about that when we were talking about the food. And one of the things that popped in my head was, you know, the fluoride in the, in the water. It's- yeah, well, fluoride encases itself around the pineal gland. And they've done autopsies where they find people with this powdery dust encasing the pineal gland, and it's fluoride. So lots of fluoride in your system shuts down the pineal gland. 
Then they want to stick this four-inch probe into the brain-blood barrier. This test that they're doing, and by the way, no others will do. If you want to travel, it has to only be this one. Because for some reason, this mysterious virus, only the cells that halfway through your brain can identify the virus. It's so virulent that merely being six feet away from someone couldn't give it to you, but not virulent enough that they can get a sample from your spit. They've got to go all the way into your brain. They call it the brain-blood barrier behind the sinuses to get these very special cells. It is so bogus, it's ridiculous. And there again, they're reaching into near the pineal gland. Mm -hmm. Finally, and it may not be finally, they're shooting these temperature guns at the pineal gland before people can go into stores and restaurants. They have to get their temperature taken with somebody sticking a gun in their face, pointing to their pineal gland. Right. That's a laser. So the pineal gland is under attack. Let there be no question about it. And when you hear somebody saying, somebody that's a volunteer for testing at a, the pharmaceutical company, they've taken away God. I can't find God. Oh, God. Then, you know, you've got a pretty diabolical scenario here. So my message to people is find another way. First of all, if you're in a grocery store and some dude sticks a gun in your face to take your temperature, you say, stop. I want to see your medical authorization and he won't have it and then and he says i don't need it yes you do you're doing a medical procedure on me you need to have medical training i want to see your certification or you need to go get the manager hmm. number one number two absolutely you should be not brushing your teeth with fluoride and if you uh, you know it's very easy to find out if there's fluoride in your water and you know, you just check with the authorities in your community. And uh, it probably is there if you're in the United States. So get a filter. One really good product, and I'm not shilling for them, that I use. I don't have fluoride in the water here, but I still use it. It's called the Berkey filter, B-E-R-K-E-Y. It sits on the countertop. You can get a four-gallon unit. I think they cost a few hundred bucks. But they have a Berkey that also has an additional filter for fluoride. And my God, do what you can to get the fluoride out of your system. Yeah. And finally, the question of the probe going into your nose. So what if they're putting something in there? Let's talk about the probe going four inches into your sinuses to the brain blood barrier. What mm -hmm. if they're depositing something there? No, I mean, bad. they should be asking themselves the question, why do they have to stick this freaking thing all the way into my brain? I'm exaggerating, but not much. Because I had a, a, a nurse tell me, Patricia, he said, we stick this probe all the way almost behind the eye into the blood-brain barrier. I go, that's not going to happen to me. So... Um, I think I got off track, but I think this was important to say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Have you had COVID? No, I'm no. healthy. I have no vaccines. I have no medications. And if I have to choose between traveling and getting the um, 
Well, I did choose. I was supposed to be taking a group of, uh, every year I do spirit journeys with people. And this year we were going to go to Bosnia and um, I refused to take this test and so did everyone else. So we canceled. Hmm. I had it in January. Mm. What was it like? Um, I had a really bad fever for a couple of days. It was like 104, 105. There you go. And and then I felt like crap for a week and a half, and then I was okay. So in other and, words, you were healthy, but you had the test, and then you got sick, right? No, I never had the test. This was before the test came out. Oh, you saying you had COVID? Yeah, I had COVID definitely in January before the test was even out. Well, maybe it was just the flu. Remember? Oh, the flu? I, I, I got uh, one. I I did have the flu shot, and I also got tested twice for the flu, and I didn't have the flu. I never get the flu for some reason. I'm like <laughs> immune to it. Hmm. So I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm like 99.9% sure I had COVID. And so it wasn't that all that bad, right? No, I, I, I was lucky. It wasn't bad. I mean, I do know people that have died from it. So I, I do know that there's, it, there is something out there that's causing people to die. Yeah, but the people die from the flu too. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know anybody who's actually died from the flu. There's Never something like six hundred thousand deaths a year from the flu in the United States alone. Yeah, I mean that's the number that they put out. But again, like I'm just going by like personally knowing people, you know. Well, everything you know that you say that's a number they put out, just like that's the numbers they put out about COVID. Exactly. So Meanwhile, it, we have empty hospitals. I have We're no all, idea what the truth is. No, we don't. But one thing we do know is, if they've been able to take down an entire population, stop the world. Come on now, stop the economies, stop the world, stop people from socializing, eating out stop commerce merely by f scaring everybody that they could die from this virus. Wow. Control. They must be having a lot of laughs in the control board meetings between the powers that be and their Draco reptilians. Right. So I want to go back to one of the things that you said about them wanting to control us and about wanting them wanting to basically mine the planet. Um, I have a friend who says that the Grand Canyon was originally an alien mine. You want me to comment on that? Yeah. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, that sounds very plausible. I mean, there, this planet is one of the richest planets and minerals in, the, in the, our solar system, which is one of the reasons I said earlier about Earth being strategic. Uh, we have lithium, we have, uh, besides diamonds and all of the, what we value as valuable, we have elements for the, uh, nuclear warfare, we have lithium, which is important in um, uh, space uh, craft, let's say. Um, and all other forms of metals and uh, uh, minerals that can be used for everything. 
the uh, ranging from ships to mind alteration, you name it. Um, valuables for trade, because believe it or not, there is a galactic community outside of the earth that's got international commerce going on, intergalactic commerce, not unlike Star Trek, mm -hmm. right? right? And earth is rich. I mean, it's just rich. It's, it's impossible for, for us to imagine how much value they place on what the earth holds. That's one of the reasons why they've been burrowing away underground and why there's an underground civilization of Dracos. They live underground, tearing up the underground of the earth. Um, are, are the Dracos able to shapeshift? Yes. So, so they can come up from underground and we wouldn't even know that it's them. Apparently. I mean, you, when you've seen some, well, David Icke describes a lot of the royal family and a lot of uh, people in high places as Dracos. And, you know, you've seen depictions of the, ha I think one of his book covers has the green reptilian half side mm -hmm. of the queen's face. And I do believe that they, first of all, they exist as their own entities. And secondly, they inhabit the bodies of, of as possession of humans walking. Mm. It's getting pretty dicey out here on, on the highway, as they say. <laughs> it makes sense that they would be able to possibly possess a person. Um, well, you know, that's what's happening so much. Yeah. You, in Hollywood and in, in people of important position, they're vacant, they're vacuous. They're, a lot of them are completely demonized and possessed. Whether it's Dracos or whether it's something else that they're mustering up from the ethers, the lower astral, you can see something is not right here. Right? Right. You can see uh, the transformation of, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to, I don't want to do that point fingers, but you look at some of the pop stars and you can see how they've completely lost themselves. There's no, there's nobody home inside. And um, some of them come out and say that the demons rule over them. Like Beyonce, who came out and said, Sasha, uh, Sasha Fierce is the one. She does everything. I would never do the things that Sasha does. You know, many of them talk about their possess their demons or their altars or whatever you want to call it. And the truth is that when you muster up the dark entity, it responds. Hmm. You know, it's kind of funny because Beyonce came up in a conversation that I was having with somebody yesterday about her. I don't know how she got access to it, but to, to one of the inner chambers of the great pyramid and was trying to, she was trying to use her voice to activate it. Apparently, there's a YouTube video of her doing it. Yeah. It, it's just interesting. I, it just came up in our conversation as well. Are you saying inner chambers like a chamber that's not being available to other people? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Like, like, like most of the time, I don't think normal people are even able to enter the pyramid. Oh, I go in every year with a group. Oh, you do? Yeah, I get private access, and I take people into the the very the underground chamber, the queen's chamber, and the king's chamber, and we do oh. uh, ceremonies in there. That's cool. I didn't even know people could access it. 
you can you can go if you're in a group and you you pay and see i always pay some groups try to get away with it and uh they get into trouble but um because every morning at the great pyramid they sell 100 tickets so you can go in as a tourist with other people in and out and it's a complete forget it no experience you know you're going in with people that are going take a picture honey take a picture and but i always get private access for my group and we go at 4 in the morning it's so cool mm. to go to the great pyramid in the middle of the night when there are no people anywhere to be seen and have them open the door open the gate and have my spiritual group enter we have extraordinary extraordinary experiences and so Some you know we, we also do that we we chant and we activate because the pyramid is like a, a huge music chamber so it is activated by sound absolutely and i've been also in there by myself with my former partner doing that just the two of us in the middle of the night takes a little courage <laughs> <laughs> powerful things happen wow so when it, the pyramid do you think was it built by humans or was it built by aliens? You do ask some interesting questions. <laughs> I just ask whatever pops into my head. Yeah, well you've got an interesting head. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. Um I believe I just had this conversation in an interview for the the standard line of the historians the egyptian historians is that they kept trying to build a pyramid because you've got all these these uh, debris broken down old pyramids in various places uh one's called the bent pyramid one's called dashur and they're just dilapidated right right bent, the bent pyramid is so called because it in fact is bent and they're small and they're just you know ineffective and then you've got this majesty the great pyramid one of the the only remaining seven wonders of the world so they claim the egyptians bottom line is that they kept trying and finally they figured out how to do it and i'm like no <laughs> something some civilization which i do feel was influenced by extraterrestrial technology and support created the masterpiece and then the egyptians kept trying to replicate it. Mhm. My answer is yes, I believe there was alien intervention there and that it was most likely when Atlantis was still thriving and the Atlanteans were working Atlantis highly civilized, highly technological civilization way ahead of anything else on the planet. started working to with in, in Egypt and started um educating the egyptians because the 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 rise of ancient egypt doesn't fit any kind of evolutionary schematic you go from being shepherds um they they were they were known as the commissions 42 tribes of shepherds on the continent of of um africa and in that area they were called the commissions and then suddenly you've got the high 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 civilization of egypt with this structure out of that you know do you know that the pyramid supposedly is the only structure that can be viewed from out of space i'm not sure if that's still true but i heard that yeah i, I didn't it, know that 
Yeah, I, it might not still be true because of what we've been creating, but uh, I heard that years ago. And so, and I was told by an ancient oral wisdom keeper, Hakim, who worked with so many spiritualists, that the Giza Plateau is the entry point for cosmic waves of cosmic energy. And, the, and it goes right through the planet and it comes out the other side in Hawaii. And in fact, that's where the volcano continually, continually uh, pours lava into the ocean. And he, he said, that's because the energy is moving right through the planet. It comes out on the side of Hawaii and it keeps perpetualizing this magma. So you've got this structure chosen to be on the energy vortex of incoming cosmic energies on the planet, perfectly aligned to the minutia, not even an inch of the directions uh, in absolute extraordinary um, architecture. Very I think interesting. there was an influence there from uh, other beings. And we still don't know what the real purpose of the pyramid was, but, and we may never know, but it wasn't a tomb for a pharaoh. No. And it's, I was, it's kind of funny. I, I was just having a conversation again yesterday with somebody, and he was talking about the Atlanteans, you know, being, having influence in Egypt. Um, Synergy, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, because we were talking about Edgar Casey, basically. That's where that, where that came up. And, um, you know, the, the, the location of Atlantis is one of those things, you know, that people argue over. Um, but he seemed to believe that you know, the, the structure that they found near the Bahamas was what was once Atlantis. So do you think that's where it was, or do you think it was somewhere else? The Syrians say that Atlantis went, although it was a gigantic continent, not a, an island like has been described by so many, mm. even Casey and some others, but in a gigantic continent that went all the way from Greenland down to South America. So you've got the, the Atlantic Ridge, which is That'll a huge mountain ridge, right down through the Atlantic, which um, the Syrians say was part of Atlantis. And where I live right now, I live in the, uh, the Azores Islands, which are about a two and a half hour flight from Lisbon uh, west. So I'm right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean right where Atlantis would have been, but not, you know, not limited to these, these islands. Just I and the local, a lot of local people here believe that this is Atlantis. And I believe that these islands are remnants of Atlantis and that the north of Atlantis was a cold, harsh environment. And all the way down the continent to the south was a lush, warm, um, tropical environment. It was a huge continent. And that makes a lot of um, sense when you realize there are pyramids on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Pyramids in Egypt, pyramids in Mexico, pyramids in China, right? Mm -hmm. If there was a continent in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean with pyramid builder Atlantean advanced civilization, it would make sense that there are similar structures on both sides, much more than that 
they, uh, the ancients took on these gigantic journeys. It's all possible, but I, I really resonate with the idea that Atlantis was a large continent. And let's not forget that Plato, in his writings, he said, Atlantis lies beyond the pillars of Hercules, which is the Straits of Gibraltar. So it, that dispels any myth about it being in the Mediterranean or, or Mykonos or any of the Greek islands, which has all, has all, have also been described as Atlantis. Yeah. And he said, it is real. This isn't a utopia. This is a real place, a huge land. So I think, well, that's interesting because that's exactly what the Syrian Council say also. And you think about it, it, it to, to have had such sway over the world. In the Mayan culture, they talked about Quetzalcoatl, this white bearded god who came from the north, right? Right. To have had such an impact on so many civilizations that the myth of Atlantis is everywhere. It couldn't have been some dinky island in the Mediterranean. Right. And um, the Bahamas. And what what do you think happened to their tech? Like, did, did they wipe themselves out? Yes. Like, I, I, okay, I heard, because I've, I've, I've heard a couple of different theories on this one, too. Um, one that they wiped themselves out, and the ones that remained um, basically decided not to share their technology anymore because it was like, apparently, like those, those like advanced humans and unadvanced humans living on the earth at the same time. And the Atlanteans wiped themselves out and decided not to share their information anymore or their technology because they didn't want it to repeat. Um, and then another theory I heard is that after the catastrophe happened, that the human race, the, our minds kind of like went into like a safe mode. Okay, this would be a point where I'm going to make a little plug for one of my books because okay. it answers this in great detail. And the awesome. book is called <laughs> Atlantis Rising, The Struggle of Darkness and Light. You, you need to reread that book if you still have it. And have in the book, the council speak about the fact that they, Atlanteans had 12 crystal skulls. You know the myth about the crystal skull. Actually, I just talked to a guy in Florida who has two of them. He's going to be on my show. His name is Jeff. Okay, well, he may not have the originals, but anyway. <laughs> you know. Um, so they had 12 crystal skulls, and these crystal skulls, when they were, were, were united, opened up, completely opened up portals between the dimensions. Um. And the council say when the 12 were united, a 13th holographic skull would appear and it would blow a hole in the multidimensional verse. Okay. Okay. And it, you know, when you think about it, crystals, crystals are silicates. So Silicon Valley is derived from quartz crystal. So as, as, as outrageous as it may seem that about, 12 crystal skulls could blow a hole out into the uh, portal of everything. Think about what we've done with, with quartz crystal with that technology. It's not that different. No. And the story that's been told in the, in the Atlantean book that I channeled 
is that they realized that the Atlantis was coming down because of the sway of the dark priesthood. And so um, there were volunteers or people that were selected, let's say, to take the skulls, one, one each, to different corners of the world to protect them. Until such time that humanity was of a high enough consciousness to bring them back together. So one of them is in Egypt, one of them is in Tibet, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if somebody's telling you they've got two of the Atlant- original Atlantean skulls, I would take it with a grain of salt. But, it, of course, it's, it's very interesting. I, 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 think used- I, I believe it because my, my source, like, you know how we were talking about the uh, Dojin tribe? Yeah. The, guy, the guy who got me in touch with the guy with the crystal skulls has uh, these statues that are called uh, Nomoe skull, uh, figurines that were, were f- um, from that tribe. So he's a pretty reliable source. Well, okay. I'm just questioning anybody yeah. that's claiming to have the originals because their uh, lives would be in jeopardy. Anyway, that's not the point of my conversation. Okay, it's all right. Um, so the point here is that yes and no, they didn't cause their demise, but they knew it was coming. And so mm-hmm. they knew that the technology in the, in those hands would wipe out the planet and possibly the universe, or at least the galaxy, sorry, at least the solar system. So they separated out the skulls with guardians until such time. And many of us believe that time is now that they could be brought back together. So we're in a very interesting time. I mean, boy, oh boy, have we got a lot going on. Yes. Um, Another connection I, I, was talking about too with the Atlanteans and Egypt is supposedly there's a library underneath the Sphinx left paw um, that holds crystals that has the um, history of the human race. Yeah. You see, I think you, you're remembering part of my material <laughs> because the council say it's not like a library that you would anticipate seeing uh-huh. with gilded covers and revered written texts it's vibrational and in order to open it you need the codes and when the master is ready they talk about the one coded master walking the earth who knows how Uh to open those codes so my answer is yes but not as we think of it so it's not really stored on crystals it's more of a multi-dimensional type of library Absolutely. That's why if you go under the paw, you're not going to find anything there unless you know how to unlock those codes. Interesting. That's very similar to what I heard about the Book of Zion. And it was like a multi-dimensional book that only certain people were able to read. That's right. That's what the council said. Interesting. Hmm. Um. So, so, what advice are the? I mean, what are the Syrians? Do you have any idea what their next move is? <laughs> what their next move is in relationship to the Earth? To the whole situation. Yes. Well, I mean, they're in their own evolutionary process as six-dimensional beings on. Uh, 
on the sixth dimension as as consciousness uniting at six dimensional frequencies they're concerned with the entire galaxy and they're working to maintain and raise the consciousness of many planetary bodies and civilizations that are in evolutionary progress because that's what happens the higher you go the more you help others climb the spiral of light right but you know their particular concern with the earth is like wow this planet's in trouble and yet they reassure us that no matter how dark it looks uh, we're in a process of evolving and in a process of ascending and to not lose the faith and you know it gets pretty scary out here sometimes yeah but you have to admit that this moment we're in you're seeing more and more people in complete insanity and more and more people awakening it's like you know it's show and tell time right <laughs> you can't be for so many in my lifetime i've seen a civilization in a sort of ignorant bliss because we aren't a generation that's had to live through war i mean not on our doorstep right right and so we've been kind of fat cats and here we are now at the crisis moment on the earth and people can no longer just sit back and say i'll just go you know to the football game and have a good time it's like i can't go to a football game because there are no football games because everything's been shut down what's going on with my world and so as difficult as it is it's also very exciting and we need to remember that i think you know people ask me what's my message what's my message personally and mm -hmm. it is to be very excited about the fact that we're in a moment where there's no more uh waffling we have to take a stand as human beings as guardians of the earth and as guardians of our species and others we have to take a stand now and there's no forgetting it there's no ignoring it and that's very exciting it Isn't is it? exciting yeah absolutely it's kind of cool really to is. be living through this yeah you know? and of course and, and, and seeing the world kind of wake up you know because exactly. I, mean, I don't know how old you are but i'm like I think I'm 53. <laughs> Last time you checked? Yeah, I'm not really even sure of that. I'm <laughs> older than you are, but I don't want to mention it. But, but you know, it, it, it's been such a change since yeah. I've been alive, you know, yeah. in, in people's beliefs, in technology. Um, the last 20 everything. years have been mind-blowing. Ever since we got the cell phones and the computers, the world became a completely different place. Absolutely. And, you know, like, like, and even that, you know, it's used for negative and positive things. Of it course, because everything in a polar environment has negative and positive right. in a 3D reality. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, we had no, we, we barely had television. We used to go out at night in the summer and play kick the can. Our toy was a can. And it was a sort of soccer game little kids kick mm -hmm. the can and then somebody else gets the can i don't even remember how we played it but the point is there was no fear there were no sexual predators trying to snatch us we used to play out and we lived on a cul-de-sac and we played until dark in the summer and 
I remember my mother calling us, come on in, it's time for dinner. There was no fear, right? Right. Life was so innocent. And I think back to those days and think how different the world is, how weird it would be to be a child now. Who plays kick the can? You sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day, and you sit in front of the TV for the rest. Yeah, yeah, it's totally different, you know. So and I think back to that too, like when I was a kid, and just just laying in the backyard and looking at the sky was amazing. Yeah, we used to build forts, and my mom would bring snacks, and you know, it was all about being connected to the earth, and being you know, being active, being free. And, you know, I personally, I see a lot of advantages to technology, but I'd much prefer we were back where we were. We were much happier. Yeah. And safer and more innocent and more joyous, more connected to the earth. But, you know, that makes you sound like an old fart. No, I don't think you know, so. You start because, saying, I remember when I was a kid. Because I, I, I think the one thing that, that's important is I think when we were younger, we, I used my imagination a lot. Exactly. And I, I think it's the imagination is really the gateway to, you know, spirituality Everything. and multidimensionality. You know, we can't achieve that without the use of imagination. And the creative force. I, mean, I don't want somebody to depict it for me in a nanosecond. Uh, word mm -hmm. second <laughs> I don't want the picture drawn for me I certainly don't want a chip in my brain teaching me, uh, providing me the access to a foreign language in, immediately I want to struggle through learning it, I want to experience myself as a human being and so uh, I resist I don't have any television Stopped having television about 20 years ago. It took about two weeks to detox, mm -hmm. and I never looked back. I do have a set because I use it to, um, to show videos. I, I buy my favorite old movies and watch them over and over and over again because I don't even like the new movies. And um, as much as possible, I shield myself from technology a lot. I barely ever use a cell phone, and I recommend people don't. And that we pull back. It's time to take stock of the fact that this technology at a certain point advanced us and now it seems to be stripping us. Yeah, yeah. It does seem to be starting to dumb us down. Stripping our humanity. So it's like perhaps we reached the pinnacle of technology and, and now it's, we're on the downside of what it's doing to us as a civilization. So it's time to... to Put it aside, not to mention the radiation that's coming into us. So I do recommend to people as much as possible, really be conscious. Keep the phone as much as you do. Don't use the phone every five minutes. Don't check it constantly to see if you've got a star or a heart on your social media. Be <laughs> conscious of where you are. Smell the grass, baby. Yeah. Yeah, definitely connecting with the earth is very important. You know, yesterday I was, uh, my office looks out on my yard. I've got a, a, a beautiful landscape. I live on an island. I see the ocean beyond. And there was a butterfly caught in a spider web on my hedge. And I ran outside barefoot and uh, freed this butterfly. 
and I, you know, the, the lawn had just been cut and there was the smell of the fresh cut lawn, the moment of being involved. And I thought, well, the spider probably doesn't appreciate this intervention, but I just couldn't let this butterfly beat itself to death trying to free itself. Mm-hmm. And now this butterfly always comes to my windows. It's got to be the same one. I mean, it just <laughs> comes up. And yesterday it flew into the house. Awesome. And I thought, you know, how important it is to pay attention to what's going on around you instead of being glued to the blue screen 24 hours a day. And yeah. that so much of the joy of being human is being connected to nature. If you, if you lose that, you're losing one of the main reasons you're here. If not the yeah. main. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I've moved down here to Alabama because I like the country. Yeah, you know, I like nature. I like the beaches. You know, like I, I grew up in New Jersey, and when I was a kid, it was country and it was nice. But then, you know, sort of like urban sprawl took over. Jersey, yeah, that's a. I mean, there are still places in New Jersey that are forests, right? A little bit. I mean, the pines, but even there, it's starting to get built up. Like, you know, it's really interesting. I uh, lived in, in in the San Francisco Bay Area for thirty three years, and then I moved to Rome. And I lived there for 33 years. Oh, now you do know my age. <laughs> and I've just migrated now to this island in the middle of the Atlantic. And this is where I will end my life. On this idyllic paradise island, underpopulated, uh, green, green, green everywhere, ocean everywhere, simple life, clean air, blue, blue skies. I'm just so grateful that I took myself to this idyllic night nature environment where I've found immense peace. That's and great. I think these are decisions that a lot of us are making right now where, you know, it's like in this time of what I call existential crisis, many people are saying, I'm not even living where I'd like to be. I'm not happy where I am. And now is the time, you know what, to find happiness to not believe that it's irrelevant or it's superfluous or superficial, to seek happiness and joy. And um, that's my message for people. That's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on today. It's been great. I really connect with you big time. Yeah, I think we had a fantastic conversation. You know, and, and like, that's why I like not having a prepared topic. I, I yeah. love just going with the flow and let ideas pop into my head and answer and ask those questions. It's so great. I also have a radio show. Uh, well, it's a video, YouTube. And it's the same thing. I think that some of my guests are a little shocked that I don't have the formal interrogation questions. But I, <laughs> I want it to be a dialogue because we both bring something to the conversation. Yeah. Not just so you so so tell us about this or tell us about that. How exciting instead to have like-minded souls sharing experience and ideas and vision. Right, and, and you've it, certainly led that today with me. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Right, and it was you. really cool to get to talk to you because I was when I saw that you you um, responded to my email, I was like, oh, you know, it's like the first books I ever read on on this particular topic. Or you're probably the first person to write on these topics. <laughs> uh, just about. I mean, you know, I'm, like I said, the first book came out in 1998, The Cosmos of Soul. So that's 22 years ago. 
that's quite a while ago. But I, don't, I wasn't necessarily the first, but I was amongst them. And yeah. I'm still doing it. That's so great. I'm still here. <laughs> and I can't wait, wait to read your next one with the Syrians. Well, uh, be sure to read the new Syrian Revelations, which came out in uh, the beginning of 2018. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time you get done with that, I should be through a part of the new book that I've just started channeling. Well, don't say that because I could probably finish it in a night. Well, then you'll be. You'll have to wait. <laughs> I, 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 I digest books pretty quickly. <laughs> well, you should read that one. Please read that one. The new series. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll get it today. Very popular. People have gotten so much out of it. Um, and it got kind of like an update from back 22 years ago uh, to where we stand now. Lots of information, parallel universes, simultaneous time. Uh, the reptilians, the agenda. It's its chock full. All the stuff I love to read about. Yeah, you'll love it. Go ahead and read it. And let me know. Maybe we'll have to do another another talk. Absolutely. You're always welcome anytime on my show. Just reach out to me and, and I'll put you on the schedule. Okay, that sounds like a winner. I'm really enjoyed talking to you, Gary. Yeah. And I'm also going to post uh, a link in the notes on my uh on the podcast to your website and to your books on Amazon. Thank you very much. And if you could put also put a link to my YouTube channel, I'd really appreciate it because I'm really active there. Okay. Yeah, I will. Great. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. And is it daytime where you're at? It is 4.30 PM. Okay. It is 11.30 AM here. Yeah. So it's good timing for us. All right. So have thank a good evening. I've really enjoyed it. The time really flew. That's always a good sign. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you and have a great night. You too. Good thank and you. goodbye to everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.